Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Worthy Podcast, brought to you by the International Tennis Hall of Fame. I'm Brett Haber, and today's interview is with someone we're coming to think of as a colleague at the Hall of Fame. After a career that saw her reach Grand Slam finals very young and eventually finish with four major singles titles, three of them as a mom, two major doubles titles, and a Fed Cup winner's medal, our guest is now giving back to the sport as the honorary president of the International Tennis Hall of Fame. She was also one of the most likable players on the international circuit, often playing with a smile on her face and clear joy in her heart. She is, of course, Kim Kleisters. Tennis started as something that I love to do, and, and, and so to have fun out on court is something that was super important for me. There's no 80%, there's no 50 like it's 100% in everything that I used to do on the tennis court and, and, and in my fitness. I don't think about legacy. I am in the moment, and I try to create the best out of it and, and how I can give back to a sport that has given me so many incredible feelings and, and memories. I had the pleasure of spending a day with her on the eve of the annual enshrinement ceremonies at Newport, Rhode Island. And that included sitting down with microphones and chatting about what makes a successful person. Kim, welcome to the Tennis Worthy Podcast. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. This podcast focuses to a degree on the ingredients that go into making a champion and your road to being a Hall of Famer. Talent versus hard work, which plays a bigger role? It's, it's always a, a tough question, right? Because there's that saying, if, if, uh, if talent doesn't work hard, um, or hard work beats talent, if, if talent doesn't work hard. And, um, and it's, it's important. Obviously, working hard is something that is very important. But I think for professional athletes, it's, it's a lifestyle to work hard. And I've, I've seen it is important to work hard, but to work smart. And I've seen so many players, you know, even in my academy, even some you know, players that I, that I help out now, and, and they almost feel like the harder I work and the more I do, the better I will get. And it's, it almost has the opposite, opposite effect on how they, you know, develop their game and develop their mental state of mind. And, um, and so it's, you know, for me, it was really important that when I got older to, to learn to switch off my tennis brain. Because when you're a professional athlete, everywhere you go, everywhere, everything you do, you think tennis all the time and you get confronted with it. And, and, and so to learn to switch it off has been, and then to switch it on at the right time has been the biggest I've seen more kids get burned out, mm -hmm. and I've seen players when I was on juniors that were supposed to be these big new, new stars in sport, and from the moment that you know, they leave the juniors and they have a little bit of freedom, they completely lose every sense of, you know, all the discipline that they learn because they have a sense of a little bit of freedom. And, mm -hmm. and um, so it's, it's about, you know, tennis is a sport where early on, you, everybody always asks you, your coach, your parents, it's, it's how did that feel? How did that shot feel that you missed at the bottom of the net? Or how is that served that, where you just hit that age? Remember how that feels. So it's really important and I feel very lucky that I had a, a father who was a professional athlete that to learn how I feel. It's, it's, it's the reason why I retired in 2000, and, and when I was 25 because I, I couldn't be committed anymore to the sport, to give everything that I have, to work hard, to be dedicated. And because I wanted to start a family, that was a life goal of mine as well. And, and I listened to that. And there's so many women, especially, especially in that time when I came back after I had Jada, who came up to me and said, I wish I was able to do what you did. I am so stuck with getting, like, 
keeping track of the points that I need to defend and the prize money that I try to, you know, get to and, and yeah, and it's it's hard. I mean, for some to you know, when tennis is the only thing you have, it's scary to to go away from that. Since you retired for the first time when you were quite young, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. you had Jada and then came back. Did you find that the priorities that you felt internally were cyclical? That obviously, as a very young athlete, tennis was your focus, and then you felt an imperative to start a family because mm-hmm. that's something you aspire to. And then after you established that for a period of time, talk about the mindset that inspired you to come back for the first time? So it all started, so I lost in 2009, was actually the year that I won the US Open in September, um, but I lost my father uh, in, in, on, on January 4th, and um, he was sick for a year. It was a very intense year where we, you know, helped, we were with him every day, and um, so there's life lessons that you go through um, that don't have anything to do with tennis, but that do change you know, how you look at anything else that happens in your life from there onwards. And, and so for me, that was a huge um, life-changing experience. Um, it was a negative one, but there were so many beautiful moments in that last year of my father's life as well. And um, so after he passed away a few weeks later, I got a letter in the mail from, um, from Wimbledon. And um, they invited me to go to... Uh, to play at the opening of, of the, the new uh, center court where they built the roof. And, and um, the invitation said that I would be able to play with Tim Henman against Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi. Mm. So for me, you know, Steffi and Andre were, you know, my childhood heroes. I, I got, you know, an Alfred, an Andre Agassi in the women's version, the denim the skirt. Denim, really? Yeah, the denim skirt with the fluo kind of uh, yellow <laughs> bike pants under it. Like those were, you know, Christmas presents in our household. Cool. And, um, and so for me, you know, going through that stage and, and kind of needing, um, after a tough year, needing some kind of excitement and, and some different goals, it was really, um, really exciting. So I committed to that and started hitting and, um, and then the hunger to play tennis and to compete uh, grew bigger and bigger and kept my emotions in for a little bit. Didn't want to tell anybody, kept, you know, didn't want to share my thoughts because I was just wondering, is this going to be over in two weeks or in a couple of weeks? And, um, and then, yeah, I just grew stronger, told my team um, that I was working with before. And, um, and we decided to, and this is the whole, the crazy thing about it, we decided that the two lead-up tournaments to the U.S. Open and the U.S. Open, I was going to play three tournaments in 2009 so that I could kind of get a feel for what it's like to travel with a baby on tour and, and um, yeah, with a family and, and just to see what it's like. And, and I think not having any expectation and being so excited to go out to play again, and um, it was, yeah, I think that's the main reason why I was able to, to win and... Um, yeah, and to, to hold up the trophy at the end of those two weeks. 09 is what we're talking about. Yeah. It was Serena in the semifinals. It was Wozniacki in the final. Mm-hmm. You needed a wild card to get into the draw. You said that you just used the phrase no expectations. Was it truly no expectations? Yeah, it was. I mean, there was a moment. Um, I, I think I lost to Yelena Yankovic, who I think if I'm, I, I might be wrong, but I think she was number one at the mm-hmm. time or, or top three at least. I think she was number one. And I lost to her in... Um, in Canada, I think, in, in one of the lead-up tournaments. And, and I, I lost 7-5 in the third, but I was still a little bit rusty, and I, but I did feel like, okay, if I get my kind of you know, normal routines back, back in place, I could beat her. And, and so I remember my trainer, Sam, um, he was stretching me after that match, and, and uh, I was never somebody to say uh, to, or to be overly confident and say, like, oh, I'm going to beat her, I'm going to do this. But I said, as he's stretching my hamstrings and he's kind of leaning over me, he's 
I, I tell him, um, I say, Sam, I think I, I, can, I can win the US Open. And he's like, whoa, like, hold on a second. You know, like, let's not focus on that right now. Like, it's still a long way to go. And I said, I understand. I understand that. But I do feel that I'm, yeah, that I'm close to these, to these players again. And um, have have you ever felt that sort of confidence Never. in your first incarnation? Never. Never really? Never. Never. There was always some doubt in my mind, which is the reason why it took me so long, I think, also to, to be able to win my first Grand Slam, because I, I didn't feel that I was good enough, like, as Justine in those finals. Playing Jennifer Capriati, at, you know, I was very young, but I didn't believe that I could win. And knowing what I know now, I'm very happy that I wasn't, you know, like, let's say, like, how Emma in her situation right yeah. now is when you win a Grand Slam so early, and I said it many times before, I'm happy I wasn't you know, a Grand Slam champion at the age of 17 or 18. You were not an overnight success. Not, n no, I wasn't, but I, I wouldn't have been able to handle it mentally because I was not ready for everything that gets thrown at you at, in that kind of circus. And so when you ended up winning majors two, three, and four post-comeback, was there an aspect of, well, man, I, I, I've experienced life without tennis. I've walked away from it once in a way this is bonus time for me? Was that at all part of your feeling? I think I, I, I never really looked back. Um, obviously, after having Jada and, and, you know, I had a lot of data to kind of compare to or where I wanted to, you know, levels that I wanted to reach fitness-wise or if it was weight or whatever it was. There was levels of serve speed. There were so many things that I could try to get back to. Um, but once I started playing, I don't feel like I was thinking a lot there, there's you know once you get on court and even now where I'm you know not training uh, much at all and and but when I get into a match or if mm -hmm. I there's some certain routines in your that are stuck in your mind that get you you know right there focused give and, me an and, example um little routines little superstitious things that that um at Wimbledon now you know there is going to the same bathroom that those were little <laughs> things that you the same shower um packing your bag a certain way walking on court trying not to step on the lines i mean there's certain things that automatically when i'm practicing in, in an indoor facility in new jersey i don't do that but when you all of a sudden you play it at center court of uh, of wimbledon and you yeah you you want to sit in the same seat you uh -huh. want to and and martina i was she was my partner martina hingis and we both had that. It's funny how when you get oh, to funny. that, yeah, you, you, it's in there. It's, it's saved in our brain. And, um, and, of course, our reactions aren't as quick as they used to be, and we don't move as fast. But the routines and our, our yeah, way of thinking on the court is still very much the same. Tennis can be a, a solitary pursuit. There's nobody to tag in for you. There's no clock to stop it. And uh, you're out there trying to problem solve on your own except when you're playing doubles and you also won a couple of double slams. Did you, obviously the greatest glory, it, it seems, comes from singles, but did you cherish your doubles time and, and uh, being part of a team? Very much. Um, loved it. I, I uh, Especially early on in my career, um, I played with Ai Sugiyama from mm -hmm. Japan and um, we, um, we had a blast. I mean, we loved practicing together. Um, we loved going out to dinners together. It was, yeah, she was my buddy on tour. And it's, it's something that, you know, you don't think about a lot is that when you get, when you're so young and you, you start living life on tour, it's, you know, your social life isn't what, you know, every other teenager uh, experiences, right? It's, it's, it's hard to build really good friendships with, with some of these players that, mm -hmm. that are your rivals at times as well, and who have their own teams and their own schedules. And um, so for me, having 
you know, playing doubles and, and you know, I's mom, you know, making me rice balls, you know, before certain <laughs> matches. And rice balls. Yeah, rice balls. And she would fill them with salmon or there was always something else. And, and she was, um, yeah, it was just so nice to be a part of like a team where, you know, we understood each other. We, um, we respected each other, but we got along together really well. And, and, um, and then I came to a point where, okay, you know, it's it doubles is taking away a little bit of my, my goals and ambitions in singles. So I had to make a, make a decision, but I mean, even when I, yeah, if I wasn't, you know, playing doubles, I still loved to play mixed doubles. And I played with a couple of the Belgian guys with Melise and with Rokas. And um, so to be able to, um, yeah, have that experience and laugh and have fun to me, it was always tennis started as something that I love to do. And, and, and so to have fun out on court is something that was super important for me. You mentioned Justine earlier, obviously a rivalry there. Did you ever think about how remarkable that this small country at roughly the same time produced these two remarkable yeah. champions? I mean, is it? I, you see it in Serbia now where mm. it's, it's, it's such a small country and it's producing an inordinate number of champions. What an amazing time for Belgian women's tennis. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And, and to me, um, you know, having Justine... And, and not when we were on tour, but even before that. She was a year older than me, but she she was from the French side. I was from the Flemish side. But we always, you know, came together in, in the bigger tournaments in Belgium first. And then we got to play on the same team when we played for our country and under 14s and under 16s. And so having experienced, um, you know, sharing a room together and us trying to get along, not knowing which language should we speak. You know, I did, my French wasn't great. Her, her Flemish wasn't great. So trying to like yeah get along and 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 so it was very interesting and we played together we traveled together um you know saw some of our struggles you know after her mom passed away i was you know i was at a tournament with her only a few weeks later um there's connections that you built with somebody that that goes so much further beyond tennis that you know even when i lost a grand slam final against her of course i was disappointed and i was more mad at myself that I wasn't able to compete at a at a high level at that moment Mm -hmm. but then when I see her holding up the trophy and like there's a part of me that was also happy for her and um and I guess it's just a human side of of life right that it's yeah so important even with the women who were your most fierce rivals during your playing career do you find a certain camaraderie now even more so than when you were playing because gosh can you believe all that we went yeah. through and to arrive yeah. here and come through For the sure. other side. And I think I realized that the most after I retired and, and um, you know, you, you build new friendships with people and with mothers that you meet at the school gate or, or birthday parties and, and you realize like you, you don't have a lot of things in common with a lot of the women who've gone through, you know, high school, school, university, whatever, college. And, and, um, and, and besides the fact that we are parents and mothers, um, there's not a lot of similarities in our lives. And then when you come to, you know, even now when you go play Legends or when you go, you know, we go back to the Hall of Fame and just to see a lot of the players that you used to compete against and that you have t- tough rivalries with. But there's a connection and it goes there's not a lot of people who will understand what we've gone through and and the struggles and the the ups and downs and and um and it's very very special and it feels like it feels like home in a sense right because these players they yeah you have a connection with somebody who who's gone through the same things and who knows exactly what it takes to to get there do you think that that has something to do with the reason that you were drawn to Brian because 
he was a professional athlete and can understand to at least some degree yeah. what you went through? Definitely. Um, to some degree, he did not know anything about tennis, so which <laughs> which was also very refreshing. Um, you know, definitely for Justine and myself when we um, when we played each other, I guess the first French Open um, in the semis, and I, I, you know Belgium was kind of turned upside down for such a small country, and and a huge life changing moment, uh, kind of from one week to the other, where um, you know just being recognized and 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 the. Yeah the attention that was on us was um, was crazy. Um, so for me to then all of a sudden meet an American in my hometown <laughs> in Belgium uh, that has about 10,000 people um, who had no clue who I was, um, <laughs> didn't really follow tennis. The only person he knew was Anna Kournikova. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so it was very refreshing to me. And, and um and that my connection to the United States has always been great. It's been great on the court. It's <laughs> been, I loved, yeah, traveling to America and, and, and the, the, the meeting people. And I've met friends throughout the years on tour. And, um, and now to live in the States, it feels, you know, it feels good. I, I enjoy living here. I, um, I enjoy how, you know, our kids can grow up here and that they can play sports. And, and in Belgium, it's still, you know, sports is still being looked at as, especially for kids, like, okay, no, first do your school. Yeah. And then, you know, you can have your hobby in sports. Um, and so for, yeah, I love the fact that here in the States, you know, whatever a kid's talent is, it gets, they get a chance to develop it in school and, and the, a lot of teachers support it. You talked earlier about uh, your upbringing as an athletic child and now you have children who compete in sports in general terms if you had to give one sort of overarching piece of advice from what you've learned to sports parents what would that be it's, it's to find a good balance um, I feel very lucky that I had a dad who you know my dad my father played a few World Cups in soccer and he was not very well known in Belgium uh, when it when it comes to soccer and and just to learn from him um, as an athlete and he was the one who would tell me in the beginning when I came on tour I I would have played 40 tournaments a year if I could right I was so excited and I couldn't wait to get back on the plane and and to kind of you know my mom would help me kind of rewash all the dirty laundry and and, and <laughs> pack the suitcase up again and, and and fly off to the next place but my dad was the one who would tell me no, no, leave your, leave your tennis bag in the garage for five days. Mm. Go with your friends, go to the movies, take your sister, go to the fair, whatever it was, and enjoy that. And, and, and so then it's also a little bit of my, like my mindset of when I go out on court, I give everything I have. Mm -hmm. There's no 80%, there's no 50 Like it's 100% in everything that I used to do on the tennis court and, and, and in my fitness. So it was really important for me to take a break from it all and to mentally not be too overwhelmed uh, by it all. And, and, and he understood that ver before I even understood it. And so I think it's really important to, to balance um, and to understand. And I think, you know, our sport has, um, or uh, I should say the physical and the mental side of our sport has, the attention on it has improved a lot. There's so many more, you know, details and science behind it that to learn to take a break and to rest is at times just as important as as always keep going, keep going, keep going. And um, and so it was, um, yeah, he, he taught me that from from a very young, young age already. I want to uh, circle back to uh, your role as the honorary president of the International Tennis Hall of Fame. That's a big 
uh, bite to take in this sport. Uh, what inspired you to do that and what are you thinking about accomplishing? Um, I think the inspiration behind it started when I got inducted myself in 2017 and, and seeing, um, you know, it, it was a busy weekend, but a very, like an overwhelming weekend. But at the same time, just seeing the, the Hall of Fame kind of team and how everybody kind of is, is so passionate about our sport, it was really um, yeah, exciting to be, a, to be a part of it and um, in that way. And then to now be able to have a small part in seeing other people get inducted and help the International Tennis Hall of Fame grow and, and achieve new levels that you know, they've been talking about for a long time and try to get it more international and try to involve some youngsters and, and yeah, so many things that we're trying to attack and uh, to be a part of that. And, and like I said, tennis has been such a big part and I want to give back. I want to be a part of an organization who does it the right way. And, um, and I live in New Jersey now as well, so it's easier for me to come up here if I'm needed up here. That's right, you're practically <laughs> local. Um, <laughs> Having never been inducted into the Hall of Fame, I've only been able to watch as a, an outsider on the fringe of the ceremony each year. What do you remember from the day and the weekend? Is it a blur or do you have sort of snapshots that stick in your mind? Um, there's snapshots that stick into my mind that I remember very strongly. And, um, and I think having played on tour for many years, it's, it's, you learn to do that a little bit. You learn to be in the moment. There's times where you know, life on tour goes so quickly. And I feel like when I got here that weekend, um, it was, you know, you meet so many people and it's hard to, to remember everybody that you met during those few days that you're here. But at the same time, there's emotions and experiences that you go through that, that stick to me to this day. And, and um, so walking through the museum and seeing, mm -hmm. you know, my childhood heroes and then all of a sudden seeing my pictures up there and, and doing that with my family. And um, so it's, it's, yeah, those are very, very um, intense moments to, to live and, and something you'd never think about you know when you're a tennis player you hope one day you get to you know play against Steffi Graf or play in a grand slam or and then but I never thought about you know these kind of moments where you feel so proud of your whole career and and everything that you've achieved and um and it's yeah it's incredible what was it like to be inducted that year with Andy Roddick because you guys have a connection that goes way back to juniors right we do we we used to play juniors together and and I've seen him develop and uh, see him win you know his, his Grand Slam in New York and um, and you know there's there's so many players out on tour but when you have a connection with somebody like that that goes you know way back it's really exciting so I couldn't be more happy when I saw that we were going to be inducted together and um, and yeah, still to this day, he's, you know, he's a friend and he's somebody who I, you know, I'd like to take his advice on things. And, um, and so we have that connection for the rest of our lives that we got inducted together. So you've been around the Hall of Fame for a bunch of years now since your induction and now in this new role as president, you've gotten to spend time with all these fellow legends. I wonder if there is a common thread that you've noticed or a quality that you seem to find that is shared by these elite champions in Shrinies around here? I think um, what I, talking to a lot of them, I think it's the, we love to win, but we hate to lose more. <laughs> and I think that's probably a very common threat that a lot, that, that a lot of them have is, is the, 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 yeah, the hate you feel when you <laughs> lose. And it can be a very destroying feeling because it, it's, yeah, you, you work that out on yourself. And, and, and so you have to learn how to kind of, yeah, balance that and, you know, your, those thoughts as well. Like you have to be able to really um, 
learn to be kind to yourself because in tennis so much is based on you know win or lose and and um, that sometimes you forget that yourself but I think that yeah a lot of us just hate to lose so so do you remember more or do you dwell more on the four grand slam finals that you won or the four grand slam finals that you lost well the they took longer to get over <laughs> right but the, the wins are exciting but the excitement goes away quicker because there's the next goal right uh -huh. away and then when you lose it sticks with you and it can stick into your head during the next matches and it and so it's it's for me it was definitely the losses that kind of made me push that up button on the treadmill a little <laughs> bit harder and and you know said oh no let's not eat that cookie now because it might be a difference maker in that next grand slam final one day you know like it's that kind of thought and you carry that with you a couple of years ago you had uh, another comeback and it was uh, limited by some injuries are you now that you've put that to bed, are you at full peace with having tennis behind you or are there still some fires burning or no, how do you, how do you no, view it? No, definitely at, at full peace. Um, like I said, I do enjoy playing tennis very much still. It's, um, it doesn't have to be on a show court yeah. at the Grand Slams, but I, I really enjoy playing tennis. And, um, and it started, you know, that feeling that I have for our sport is no different than when I started when I was five years old and, and was able to, you know, pick up some balls at my cousin's practice. and, and I, I enjoy it. Um, I have no desire to, to come back on tour, but I do enjoy playing good tennis and, um, and, and to have a good workout and to compete. And, and um, yeah, so I, I will always have that in me, I think, yeah. What do you want the Kim Clijsters legacy to be? It's a, that's a tough question because it's, it's a question that kind of gets asked a lot when, you, you know, when you're playing and, and, and they talk to you about, oh, you know, how does it feel to be a role model? And, and you're so nice, Kim. She said everybody loves you, Kim. Is that, <laughs> yeah. Are we, what are we not seeing? Is no, there... it's, it's um, I don't know. I've never thought about it in that way. No? I don't think about my legacy. I just try to be the best. Like, I fell in love with the sport, and I'm, I've been passionate about playing tennis, and it is hard to find something that you're passionate about when you stop playing tennis that will give you that mm. intense emotion, feeling of, of, you know, setting goals and achieving them and failing at times, but then getting over that. And, and there's not much, or there's not going to be a lot of experience that will give me kind of that sensation again. And I remember a few years ago, I went to, to lunch with two of my girlfriends and, you know, they're a few years older than me, but one is a psychologist, one is a, a physio and, and, um, and they were saying, you know, you, but you're so lucky you've achieved all your dreams and you, you've had so many dreams come through. And, but we are still trying to, you know, aim for those and we're still working towards that. And I said, yeah, but it's, you know, I'm still young. Like I was still in my mid thirties and that doesn't mean that I have no more goals in my life or dreams that I would like to achieve. And, and so it's, um, yeah, you just have to shift and, and learn to, um, maybe be a little softer on yourself. And, and, but for me, it was always very important to like be, you know, we get asked so many times, can you be the godmother of this project? Can you be a, an ambassador for this? And, and it's easy to lend your name to it, but I never felt comfortable if I couldn't be fully committed. And it's the same with my role in the hall of fame. I'm not doing it just to connect my name to something like I want to be able to help and because otherwise I'm not going to do it and um, so I don't think about legacy I am in the moment and I try to create the best you know out of it and, and how I can give back to a sport that has given me so many incredible you know feelings and, and memories I think you've already accomplished that thank you Jim thank you 
And in case you're wondering, yes, Kim Clijsters is every bit as nice as she sounds and appears. And she makes a great point at the end. The career of a top-level athlete starts earlier than the career of most of the rest of us, but it also ends earlier. While most professions see people peaking in their 50s or even 60s, athletes are often finished by 35 or 40. So it's great to see someone like Kim giving back to the sport that nourished her and which she graced by taking on this honorary role with the Hall of Fame. If you've missed any of the podcasts in this series or even the 12 that made up season one, do go to TennisFame.com slash podcast where you'll find all of them. And please do tell your friends, family, and other associates about these interviews. Next time, we'll have a champion who got to number two in the world and who is now one of the leading tournament directors on the circuit, Tommy Haas. Don't miss that one. The Tennis Worthy Podcast is brought to you by the International Tennis Hall of Fame in association with the Tennis Radio Network. I'm Brett Haber. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to tell your friends about these great interviews. We look forward to seeing you next time.